The issue of indulgences was the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation. What were they? And do they still exist today? Find out on this week's episode of Theology Unplugged. Indulgences, guys. That uh, isn't that big of a deal in this issue, is it? Roman Catholicism, indulgences, that like didn't start a reformation, did it? It did. If you ask a Roman Catholic today, I think they will really minimize. Well, and there have been a lot of adjustments in indulgences since the 1500s, but uh, this really is the issue that uh, separated. I mean, there were many issues, but this was kind of the the thing that, that brought it all crashing down with the Reformation is this issue of indulgences. Maybe we could call it the instrumental cause. Could that be good? I'll indulge or you. Or the instrumental provocation. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, because we had issues that have been going on for quite some time before the 16th century, and something had to serve as the catalyst that made it all tumble. Now, we'd say the person of Martin Luther. We would say all kinds of things within history, you know, the uh, the plague, Black Death, the, the uh, papal schism, all kinds of stuff which, uh, which served to prepare the way for the Reformation. But it seems like the indulgences, this idea that we're going to talk about today, uh, had a lot to do with... It did. And a certain guy, right? It did. Maybe we ought to, um, to set the stage by going back to something we talked about uh, earlier, and that is the double effect of sin in Roman Catholic theology. Because without understanding that, people will never understand indulgences. All right, go for it. Well, Roman Catholics believe that there's a double, double effect of sin. Uh, you are subject because of your sin to, to both temporal punishment, punishment in this life, um, and eternal punishment in the next life. And when you receive uh, forgiveness and absolution, the eternal punishment is wiped away. But you very likely will die with an outstanding debt yet to pay of the temporal consequences and the temporal punishment for your sin. And that's why there's purgatory. You go to purgatory uh, in order to uh, expiate the the lingering temporal punishment that you have incurred that you couldn't pay by your acts of penance while you were alive on earth. Mm. And so indulgence, <clears throat> by the way, it has nothing to do with I'm indulging my kids and allowing them to stay up later than they should. You know, nothing not, to do with no, that. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> Indulgences are simply God in effect, reducing the penalty or suspending the sentence in purgatory and remitting the temporal punishment that you otherwise should have endured. And so the problem was back, as you all know, in the the early part of the 16th century is that uh, indulgences were were being sold literally for money, cash money. And um, that was uh, Martin Luther, by the way, it's interesting, people don't know this. Martin Luther never objected to the concept of indulgences, mm. at least initially. Um, he just simply objected to their being sold, and uh, uh, the, the commercializing of that was what offended him. And, of course, everybody knows the story about uh, John Tetzel. No, everybody doesn't. No, they don't. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear a lot of people oh. saying, what? Yeah, John Yo- Johann John Tetzel who was unscrupulous uh, used car salesman in the (laughs) late Middle Ages, in effect. Sorry to all you used car salesmen that I just offended, Um, who basically went from town to town, um, appealing to people's emotions and saying, look, um, not only can you reduce your time in purgatory uh, with a few coins um, contributed to the church, 
but think about your dead parents and your grandparents who are suffering in the flames, and you could actually reduce the time of their um, suffering, and why would you not do that? And so he manipulated crowds and was just crass and commercialized in his selling of indulgences. And um, supposedly, whether or not this is actually the case, we don't know, but supposedly uh, he wouldn't cross over into Luther's territory because he knew that Luther was so adamantly opposed to this. But one of Luther's parishioners went to another city and bought an indulgence from Tetzel, came back into Luther's parish, and Luther found him drunk on the street one day. And uh, he said, what are you doing? And the guy pulled out a piece of paper, which was the, indul- mm-hmm. the proof of the indulgence, and mm-hmm. said, well, I've already bought my way out of purgatory for this sin, so I'm basically enjoying my drunkenness. And that pushed Luther over the edge mm-hmm. and was largely the reason for his posting of the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg. So how long after the, these events did Luther post the 95 Theses? It was inside of a year, yeah, probably just a few months as yeah, far as I know. Because Tetzel was wildly popular yeah. and traveling from town to town. And, and raising a lot of money for the church. And the reason he was doing it is because they were wanting to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And that was the capital fund campaign. That was the method of, of bringing in the cash. Yeah. Well, and uh, today it would be about $2 billion of construction costs. That's how much money they spent building St. Peter's. And what's interesting is they built it because their idea was that you cannot tear down the church on earth. You know, you can't tear down this building. So they had designed a building, which stands today, that would perfectly be constructed over the top of the existing church. And so they actually built this church over the top of the existing one and then disassembled the old one and carried it out the front door. That wouldn't cost so, any money. I was going to do that with my house because I just, you know, we don't want a place to, uh, we don't yeah. want to live to live somewhere else. I built on top of my house, my new house, yeah. and it became really big, but that's the reason why my house is so large. Well, and Luther is trying to find salvation for his soul. You know, I mean, Luther's in this struggle around this time of, of finally trying to realize how can I have freedom for my soul? And then he's seeing this this huge building being built. He's seeing these people in his church who can't afford it and are giving all this money. And, you know, you don't upset a German monk. <laughs> so in the midst of this transition period for Luther, he's discovered salvation or justification by faith. Uh, he's began to uh, teach more, I guess, aggressively the principles of, of the Reformation, what's going to become the Reformation. But this is what causes it to spread wildly. Your voice really changed there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for for informing me. (laughs) I think the anointing was coming on him or leaving him one or the other. (laughs) Yeah, it really, this was the catalyst for the Reformation more than than anything else, was Luther's uh, basically was uh, undermining the capacity of Rome uh, to subsidize its, uh, its financial needs, and that really hit them hard. Um, the interesting thing about it is, is that most people think, well, surely in, in light of such a horrific abuse of, um, uh, like this that Tetzel and others were involved in, that Rome would have banished and uh, ruled out of existence or denied the reality of indulgences. And the, and the point is, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, you can read in the Catholic Catechism, I've got it before us, we can read it here in a moment, where they still affirm the reality of the obtaining of indulgences. They just don't sell them. It, there's not the crass commercialization of it, at least as far as we know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think Rome would be very much opposed to that. But the concept, theologically, of indulgences and um, 
uh, and what we're going to call talk about in a moment, the Treasury of Merit, and uh, that's a part of the communion of saints, um, is still very much a part of Roman Catholic belief and practice. Well, let's talk about the theology behind the indulgences, but first, you know, continuing with the corruption idea, I don't think many people will understand the politics of the day and and how it was that the Pope had structured the the world of the the government of the church to where you know people were number one buying bishoprics or by becoming a bishop by payment and so they would Mm -hmm. pay for their bishopric this was called uh uh simony Mm -hmm. uh named after simon magus who tried to buy the uh power of the holy spirit with with uh with uh, money, Acts chapter seven, is that right? Eight. Eight. I think it, was. Uh, it didn't work out too good for him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, Peter uh, had some harsh things to say about that, but the church seems to continue to, to do things like this. But at this time, what would happen was we would buy a bishopric, then the Pope would say, hey, you give me however much you sell of indulgences in your area and among your people, and, uh, you know, maybe give me 50%, you keep 50%. So I give you the authority to sell indulgences. And then that guy would go and go to his people, and he'd have 30 or 40 people, and he'd say, hey, I'll give you guys 50% if you all go out and sell indulgences. And then you had this just massive system that became lots of different marketers. And so it's not as if the Pope necessarily knew or sent Tetzel. You know, it's not as if he, you know, you have Tetzel in the Pope's office and him saying, hey, you're really good and go out there. But it's just, the Pope has no clue what's going on. He just says, I need to build this this, uh, this church. I've got a system in place, uh, totally corrupt system, but it exposes this corrupt system to a different degree. Mm-hmm. Yay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Indulgences, theology of indulgences. What in the heck? How in the world do we think we can sell uh, uh, anything with regard to grace or, or merits? Where, where does this come from? It largely comes from their Catholic concept of the communion of saints. And that is the idea that there is an unbroken relational bond that involves the transfer of human merit among the people of God, those on the earth. Uh, like us, those who are in purgatory, who are suffering, and those who have been delivered from purgatory. And there can actually be, as odd as this sounds to most Protestant ears, there can be a transfer of merits from one to the other that will reduce your time in purgatory. Let me just read this. Um, This is from the Catholic Catechism, so this is not something I'm making up. It says, in the communion of saints, a personal link of charity exists between the faithful who have already reached their heavenly home, those who are expiating their sins in purgatory, and those who are still pilgrims on the earth. Between them, there is an abundant exchange of all good things. In this wonderful exchange, the holiness of one profits others well beyond the harm that the sin of one could cause others. So, for example, let's just, we talked about Mary extensively. Um, Mary was believed to have an excess of merit, even as Jesus did. They, have, they, they are so perfect, sinless, accomplished so many good deeds that um, there is an abundant overflow of merit that they don't even need. And this is true of also some of the other super saints. And so there was this notion, if you can kind of envision it in your mind, it's, it's a metaphor, obviously, of a treasure chest in heaven that contains all the merits all the uh, excess good deeds of the saints throughout the centuries. And, and here you are, you're just a kind of an average 
pilgrim on the earth and uh, you're hurting and you sinned and you've been assigned to do penance and you're saying, man, I'd really like to tap into that box, that treasury. I'd like to withdraw that and transfer a little bit of that merit in their account over to mine. And according to the communion of saints, that that's something that you could do. And, and that so, merit only could apply to the purgatory issue, right? Right. right. It would reduce. Uh, in fact, if, if you might think if you have a little uh, extra merit on earth, you can transfer that to the account of your loved one who may be suffering in purgatory. But basically, um, the interesting thing was is that Mary was believed to, in essence, control the treasury. And so she was the one you prayed to her, you intercede with her, and she could dispense those extra merits uh, according to her will to those who, um, who most desperately needed them. Or back in those days in the medieval church, those who were most generous in making contributions to the church. So we've got this treasury of merits, and when we say merits, okay, we've got, we've almost got this bank account idea. We've got this, I'm working here on earth, Christ paid for my sins, yet I can continue to work and do works of superindulgence, this, this idea above and beyond what I am required to do, above and beyond. I'm already out of purgatory, say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've already taken care of all my purgatorial duties myself. Now I go out and help the poor. Now I go out and, and sell my clothes. And, and now I go out and stay with the lepers. Mm-hmm. All this is producing is tons and tons of extra credits, um, uh, treasury, money that is being placed into this bank account. That, that, you know, in this bank account, it's like, well, if we don't do anything else with it, you know, it's just going to sit here. So why don't we distribute it to people who do what? Uh, pay for it? Uh, to, I mean, how do you get these things? now or what is the history of how you get them i mean obviously with tetzel you were getting them by paying for them um and how how do we get them otherwise you can still do things to get them acts of service acts of uh serving the poor ministering to the church praying um, uh, fervently let's quote the catholic catechism again so people don't think i'm again making this up i'm quoting now it always seems very dramatic. Yes. So people don't think I'm, you're not going to believe well, this. Well, <laughs> it, it is rather stunning. I quote, We also call these spiritual goods of the communion of saints, the church's treasury. So they even use the word treasury. Which is the infinite value, which can never be exhausted, which Christ's merits have before God. This treasury includes as well the prayers and good works of the Blessed Virgin Mary. They are truly immense unfathomable, and even pristine in their value before God. In the treasury, too, are the prayers and good works of all the saints, all those who have followed in the footsteps of Christ the Lord, and by His grace have made their lives holy and carried out the mission the Father entrusted to them. In this way, they attained their own salvation and at the same time cooperated in saving their brothers in the unity of the mystical body. And then one more statement. The tr- it, it says that one can obtain an indulgence from the church um, when the church opens for a believer, quote, the treasury of the merits of Christ and the saints to obtain from the Father of mercies the remission of the temporal punishments due for their sins, since the faithful departed now being purified are also members of the same communion of saints, one way we can help them is to obtain indulgences for them so that the temporal punishments due for their sins may be remitted huh. or forgiven. Huh. Such a reminder of how, again, as I mentioned previously, our theological beliefs are, are like a web. 
and every strand is connected to so many other strands. So you begin to pull on this strand of penance and indulgence, and just in seeking to understand it, you have to understand so many other doctrines attached to it. You know, the Catechism elsewhere says that the risen Christ's gift to his church is the power to forgive sins through the ministry of the apostles and their successors. So well, where did this come from? Well, it came from all these other beliefs that they have about what the church does and how it mediates forgiveness and mm -hmm. what responsibility God's given to the church to make people right with God. Is yeah. the indulgences, this treasury, is that the place from which all forgiveness comes? Is, or is this just a little side thing, a side account? You got Christ and then you got a side account. Well, I think they would see it that these just flow into each other. You know, so this treasury isn't coming separate from Jesus. It's filled up by Jesus and people following Jesus. Is that and how so, you initially got saved? I mean, whenever you were, became a believer, whenever you got baptized, was it uh, this treasury of merits that was applied to your account or was it the power of the cross? that remitted your sins and then this treasury comes in kind of almost we, we've got you know with my mother we've got her uh two insurances we've got one insurance that takes care of her majority of her bills you know the big ones and we got this little side insurance you know this uh, this thing that takes over the leftover stuff it, this sounds like kind of a leftover thing to me well it's, again they're always going to talk about them as instruments so that it's almost like they cover the rear where they'll say, oh, no, no, no. And again, the catechism says, in the forgiveness of sins, both priests and sacraments are merely instruments, which our Lord Jesus Christ, the only author and liberal giver of salvation, wills to use in order to efface our sins. So you see them always hedging. They're going to say, no, 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 they're just instruments. They've just been given the stewardship. It's coming from Jesus. It's originating with him, but but uh, we're the stewards of it. Yeah. Well, and we get into that with sacraments that we'll talk about later, too, is that is that the church is seen as being an integral part of the body of Christ and of salvation stuff by mitigating, by handing out these things. You know? But remember, if you're in purgatory, you are already forgiven. It's a done deal, right, yeah. from the Catholic standpoint. So in purgatory, the, the final thing is this clean, cleansing up process, mm -hmm. this idea that you still have sins and you've got to be perfect before you stand before God. Therefore, there's something that's going to make you perfect. It's either the fires of purgatory or it's this works of superabundance that is placed upon this treasury of merit from Christ and the saints, which is, it's odd. I mean, you... It's just this side thing going on that isn't the same thing as forgiveness. Well, so I'm going to disagree with you. I think I'm almost envious of this system a little bit, okay? And I'll tell you why I'm almost a little envious of it because— You're not getting and, any of my merits. I'm, <laughs> I'm holding on to mine. Well, no, I, I'm, I need all that well, I can get here it is. have when I yeah, get up there. I'm telling Mr. You. Protestant. <laughs> um, so here's why I'm a little envious of this is that I do disagree with it, but at a run-of-the-mill Roman Catholic, it is very sweet— to view that all of us are in this together. You know, so us Western, individualistic, I'm doing it all on my own, I don't need anybody, I'm gonna live in the mountains and do it all by myself. Uh, you know, th this is really a way that, that we can all be in it together. That, you know, your acts affect my acts, that we are all following Jesus, but we they've built a system of we're all in this together. Even people that have died, we're still all rooting for each other. We're helping each other. And it's not we're helping each other just do good works, but we're helping each other live live for Jesus in community, basically. And so, so I mean, I think that there are things that even Protestants can garner from this of like, you know what, uh, they might, I can learn a little bit from how much 
uh, they view us all being in this together because in 2013 America we are it's like we all just live individual Christian lives and we have no community uh, but uh, but I at the same time I do totally disagree with where it took them but I appreciate a little bit of I think there was probably initially some sort of a pure heart initially that of like you know what we are all in this together because what you have to remember life in the 1500s was very hard you know we couldn't just run to a hospital we couldn't go on social security we couldn't have uh, this uh, medicare none of that exists life was very hard so it was very int- it would have been uh, very freeing for people to know that my miserable life is not just my responsibility. We're all in this together. Well, Sam, maybe you can help me with something because, again, I feel like like a liar who has to tell a lie to cover up a lie that he told to cover up another lie. There seems to be a progression here that in the past you've explained how this may go all the way back to wrong-headed views of sanctification and justification, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't The fact that purgatory exists at all, doesn't that somehow relate to a fundamental misunderstanding yeah, without of sanctification. We don't have this, right? Yeah, right. It's, so it's not necessary. Help me understand, because all these things are connected to them trying to solve a problem about something they don't understand, well, correct? Yeah, it is. Without purgatory, it doesn't function. But without the double effect of sin, there's no need for purgatory. So it does go back to uh, the whole sacramental system, this double effect. And uh, yes, I have my eternal guilt wiped away, but I have this outstanding debt that I can't ever seem to pay down in life. So you basically enter into heaven or into purgatory uh, and you and you still got this incredible uh, credit balance or de- debt that you still have to pay on your credit, your spiritual credit card. And uh, this is the way in which you discharge the debt and get it paid. I want, but I want to come back to something Tim said, because I think he's made a good point. Thank you. So, yeah. So here's my follow-up question <laughs> I to you, Tim. I won't that down the rest of the day. <laughs> Sam said I made a good point. So my question then is, Uh-oh. is there a— He's setting me up. Is, no, no, no. <laughs> is there a legitimate sense in which Protestants, evangelical Protestants, have a doctrine of the communion of saints? Is there not a, a bond and a unity that exists among all genuinely born-again believers that— that perhaps we are missing out on or we're failing to acknowledge? And if so, does it have biblical grounds? And what are its practical effects? Well, yeah, I mean, I think all the one another statements that that is uh, that Jesus makes, I think, uh, shows us very clearly that, that, yeah, I mean, we should have a strong community focus. Uh, but, you know, do my good works help take away your bad works, you know, I would say, well, that's all just completed on the cross mm-hmm. by Jesus. I, I think of, of how uh, the author to the Hebrews closes Hebrews 11 and begins Hebrews chapter 12, uh, this, this pantheon of saints. And then he says, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And there's this connectivity throughout history, this great cloud of witnesses that we are to consider, and that somehow is integral to our process of sanctification. I love the way the church puts it, or the Catholic church, the church, <laughs> how's that? Uh, the Catholic church puts it, they put it, there's the church triumphant and the church militant. Church militant are those who are here still on the earth battling it away, and then mm-hmm. you got the tri- church triumphant, those who have made it to heaven, and then I forget which the other one is, maybe the church penitent that is in that is in purgatory, but it's all this idea of one church. And, you know, we do speak about that often. We talk about the body of Christ and in individual churches. You know, we've talked about spiritual giftedness before on this program. And we get together and we say, we need each other. 
you know, and I'll teach a class on spiritual gifts and I'll say, everybody here, you guys need each other. You got to get that done first. You got to understand that you're, you're not a finger and you need somebody else because they are a finger and you're not uh, an eye. You need somebody else because they are an eye, but you are an ear and everybody needs you. And then we think sometimes if that goes beyond in evangelicalism, the local church, it's an amazing thing, you know, that we need other churches as well. And we think we've done something great when we've started to connect the Presbyterian with the Baptist or the Baptist with the non-denominational street church down the street. And we have these big unity rallies and we say, look, we are the church. But here's something that Tim's talking about, something more glorious that I think we can legitimately without sacrificing any theology, but, but grabbing a hold of true theology, say, look at the church across the world and across time and see them as one. Now, how do I see Augustine as one with me? Because I read Augustine and his giftedness still contributes to my life today. And so he has never ceased to be a contributing member to the body of Christ. But you don't pray for him. No, I don't pray for him. And you don't think that he prays for you. There's no biblical grounds for this notion that somehow we can minimize his suffering in purgatory or that the extraordinary merits that he might have obtained on earth can be credited to you and thus reduce your time there as well. So, yes, there's a communion of saints. Yes, there's a mutuality. There's accountability. There's prayer one for another for those on the earth, but it doesn't extend vertically to those in purgatory or heaven to those who are still alive. Yeah. And I felt I, like I, Martin Luther. Okay. You we're going to have to cut this off. Sorry, Tim. Okay. I'm always cutting you off, aren't I? I know. I was going to give the you final just, death just blow. Just damage the communion of saints, right? <laughs> well, we'll there, continue yeah. this next time. Complicated web, complicated system. Hopefully, we'll be able to clarify some of this stuff, and we'll continue this uh, as we uh, talk about. I can't even remember what sacraments. Sacraments. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Theology Unplugged is presented by the Credo House. For more information on the Credo House, visit www.credohouse.org.